I saw him from across the room. He's wearing blue jeans and I think even a denim shirt, regular tennis shoes, and he was simply sweeping the floor. About that time, someone else, one of my other colleagues, said, Ron, do you know who that is? I said, no, I don't know who that is. He said, really, you don't know who that is? And so, as I was working on this congressional campaign, this colleague of mine said, Ron, that's, that's Bill. And he told me about Bill. He said, Bill's family owns this particular brick company. This brick company had been in this town for 100 years. He said, every building that you've seen that was built before 1970 using bricks, this man's company provided the bricks for. It was his dad's company before him. Now he and his brother operate this company. He said, Ron, that man is a multimillionaire. And yet here he was sweeping the floor. He said he called and wanted to know how he can be involved in the campaign. He's been doing things around here all day, and he felt like at the end of the day someone just needed to sweep the floor, and so he started sweeping the floor. Would you expect a multimillionaire to pick up a broom and start sweeping? Most of us would not for a couple of different reasons, but you see that displays a certain amount of humility. This man didn't push his weight around saying, look, I'm a big-time donor to this campaign. He didn't say, you know, someone else needs to sweep. He just started sweeping. The image of humility. As Christians, we are called to live with an attitude of humility. Last week, we began looking in Ephesians chapter 2, and I said we were going to begin looking at the attitudes that Paul speaks about here. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, when he says, I want you to live in a manner worthy of your calling. And what that meant to live in the image of Christ, to be an imitator of Christ. And so we come back here to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and we see Paul beginning to give us specific characteristics. And this characteristic that we want to begin looking at this morning is the idea of I want us to think about this notion of humility. What is it that Paul has in mind here? How does that relate to the things that Paul is going to speak about as we zoom out, beginning with Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2, looking at the context, first of all, of Ephesians, the things that Paul is going to say in the practical section of this letter, and then look at as we continue to zoom out, the idea of humility as we see it in other portions of the New Testament. And then finally, I want us to practice humility in my life today. So let's look again at Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. Notice the concept of humility that Paul has in mind here. He says once again, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance and love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the bond of peace. Paul begins by talking about this word humility, or this idea of humility, and he uses a word for humility that's used 34 times in the New Testament that literally means 
lowness, or to be low or lowly. Specifically, the Greeks used it, at least at one point in their history, they used it to refer to someone that was low in position, social position, political position. And that idea seems to be the idea that Paul has in mind here. He's not saying that you can't have wealth. He's not saying you can't be in a position of authority. But what he's saying is you need to have the attitude that says, I am low in position. Rather than carrying yourself with a great deal of pomp and circumstance with your chest puffed out saying, look how great I am. Rather, it's the idea that says, I am low in position. I'm not forcing my weight around. I'm not pushing my weight around. And that's important for us to keep in mind because sometimes in life we do find ourselves in positions of authority. We do find ourselves with great wealth at times. Some of us wish we could find ourselves there a little bit more. But it's the idea that whether you have that authority or whether you have that wealth, you carry yourself with humility. Now, did you notice how Paul begins this section in verse 1? He points out saying, I, Paul, the prisoner for the Lord. Rather than carrying his weight as an apostle and saying, look how great I am, I don't need, I don't have to put up with this kind of stuff. I don't have to put up with this sort of persecution, which would eventually lead me before Nero, he was willing to suffer that fate, to be low in position, to be a prisoner for Christ. Paul could have easily gotten out of all the circumstances that found him in prison. He could have said, you know what, I'm not going to preach the gospel anymore if that's what the Jews want me to do the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. He could have denounced Christ any number of times along the way, but he never stopped preaching the truth. He could have exercised his right as a Roman citizen more frequently and more aggressively to find himself free from the bonds of, of prison on more than one occasion. But he chose not to. He was willing to suffer that fate. And so Paul says, be lowly, as he demonstrates in his own life what it is to be lowly. As we look at the broader context of Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to notice how this idea of humility is important, first of all, for the church, but also for our families. Paul's going to talk about the relationship of the church. And as he does, we're going to see how this attitude of humility is fundamental to the health of the church. He begins the section, or continues with the section, beginning in verse 4 by saying, There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And he begins to talk about how in the church we need to have a oneness. We can't have a oneness unless we practice humility. And Paul talks about Jesus Christ and how Jesus was to the point of willing to go to the depths of the earth to be buried in a grave, a tomb, to be that sacrifice for us. And then he says, you know what, in verse 11, there are different church. 
He says, verse 11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints to the works of the service or to the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And he goes on to talk about what that means. There are different roles in the church. But it says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality and for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Paul says, look, as Christians, we need to function as a body. Each one giving of himself or herself. And when we do that, the body grows. And individually, we have our own skill sets and our own abilities. And Paul says, we work together, each one giving as he should properly. Meaning, what you can. The skills that you have. And you see, that takes humility. And the reason that takes humility is because sometimes we see others that have different abilities and we look at them with jealousy. We look at them sometimes with contempt. I wish I had that skill and ability. I wish I had that attention from that individual carrying out or exercising that ability. Sometimes we might look at someone else and, and say, they're not doing as much as I am. That too is not humility. Because what we sometimes do is we puff each other up or we puff ourselves up saying, look what I'm able to do. Look what I am doing. And we expect a position, a hierarchy, a status in the church. And you see, humility is the opposite of that. Paul begins the section by saying we need to live with humility, which says, I see myself lowly or with a certain lowness in social standing, in political standing, in power, rather than saying it's my way or the highway. This is how it's going to be. And so Paul says if the church is going to function and function well, we need to be able to communicate with each other in love. We need to be able to each one function as we ought to function with this idea of humility, looking out for one another. And Paul's discussion continues in Ephesians 4 and 5. As he talks about what this means, look at verse 25. Therefore, laying aside, laying aside all falsehoods, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for you are members of one another. Do be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one in need. 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will be with grace to those that hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. All those nasty things that Paul just talked about, slander, clamor, wrath, all of those things, the backbiting, many of those things stem from a lack of humility. Inability to forgive someone. I can't believe he would do that to me. Does he not know who I am? That's a lack of humility. Looking at each other with contempt, slandering one another with uh, one another. Those all stem from a lack of humility, at least in part. And so Paul says humility is foundational to living a Christian life in the church. As we fast forward through the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, Paul concludes this section, I believe, verse 21 by saying, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another. To put yourself in subjection to another individual requires you to be humble. To put yourself in subjection to somebody else requires you to say, you know what, I'm not going to stand up and say, I am more important. Look at my social standing. Look at my political standing. Instead, it's an attitude that says, I'm willing to let somebody else have his way or her way. I'm going to consider the needs of others and put those needs above my own. That's humility. As we look down through the rest of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul now begins to give an example or, or list different relationships in which those in the church and in families subject themselves to one another. The first one that Paul talks about is the marriage relationship. And he begins to talk about how wives, verse 22, wives should be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. A lot of women struggle with that idea, and it's probably because, or at least in good portion, because there's been some dirty, rotten men in, over the years who have not exercised this with humility. I told you to go do this. This is what I say. And they demand their wives to be subservient rather than a wife choosing submissive to her husband. And men miss the part here oftentimes, or they have over the years in which Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's a level, uh, think about that love, that level of love in which Christ said for you and for me, 
I love you so much that I'm going to give my physical body, I'm going to leave my throne room in heaven to come down to this earth, and even though you've been spitting in my face all your life, I'm still going to die for you. And Paul says, husbands, you have that same kind of love for your wife. And over the years, I bet that we've not heard so much of that message as much as we have heard of wives be subject to your own husbands. And that's why so many women, I think, probably struggle with this passage. And so Paul says, husbands, love your wives. Instead of you puffing out your chest and saying, uh, you need to do this and, and you need to do what I tell you to do and, and I'm picking the restaurant, by the way, give me back the remote control. Paul says, love your wives. What's interesting about this passage is as we end at Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, verse 32, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church, our relationship, the relationship of the church to Christ. The church is to follow Christ completely, wholeheartedly, completely in subjection to Christ. And again, that takes humility. I'm not going to do my own thing. We're not going to do our own thing. We're going to do as Scripture says. The sign that we've ordered, they were wishing was already out on the street. It says Church of Christ. Not because it's a denominational title. Not because it's a name of a, of a, of a series of churches primarily in southeast United States. But because it says we are the church that belongs to Christ. Christ is the head of this church. Paul continues, verse 33, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And so Paul says, as husbands, as wives, we subject ourselves to one another in the sense that we love each other. The men are to love their wives, nourish their wives, care for their wives. Wives follow the leadership of their husbands, but none of that can get done if there's not humility. If a man's not willing to say, I'm going to humble myself to listen to my wife. I'm going to humble myself to be concerned with what concerns my wife. Then this all falls apart. This seems to be, in the practical section of Ephesians, how we see humility being borne out. Paul goes on to say, as we look in Ephesians chapter 5, not only does he speak of the marriage relationship, but he continues on, chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it will be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The next relationship that Paul talks about here in Ephesians chapter 6 is the parenting relationship. And Paul says here, children, you must obey your parents. That's your humility. Rather than puffing yourself up and saying, Dad, what are you doing talking about me, uh, telling me what to do, I can do what I want to do. We don't have teenagers yet in this congregation, but we're getting pretty close. Right? And this is something teenagers struggle with maybe more than others. Where it's all about me, what I want. Who are you to tell me what to do? And so to our young people that are approaching those teenage years, I'm just telling you ahead of time, 
Yes, God wants you to humble yourselves and follow your parents' lead. But the other way that humility is present in this passage is in verse 4 when it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. That requires me to be humble rather than just looking at my position of authority. Remember the word means low in social or political standing. And there are some dads and there are some moms, but probably dads more than moms, who take the approach to child rearing of if you ever say anything other than what I've said, I'm going to smack you down. And there are some moms and some dads, I suspect probably dads more than moms, who treat their children with contempt and rule their houses with a heavy fist. Have you seen children that have grown up in those types of houses, those types of homes? What sort of lifestyle do you often see those individuals living as adults? They're trying to get under the weight of that heavy fist. The humility here comes when we look at the passage and we realize that my responsibility as a dad is to raise my child in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. That means I'm taking the time to train my children, to guide them rather than being more concerned about showing I'm the boss and you better do what I say. That's not an excuse to you kiddos to say I don't have to do what you say. It's the way that dads need to approach this task they have of teaching their children. Paul continues and now he gets into something that is very difficult for our minds to wrap, be wrapped around. But then he says slaves be obedient to those who are your masters. Verse 9, and masters do the same things to them. Today we call this the man, or maybe the woman, whoever your boss is, right? We don't have literal masters and slaves today, but these folks did. They knew exactly what Paul was talking about. And it's interesting that Paul doesn't just leave it with the slaves, but he talks about in the church, if you're a slave, if you're a master, you need to conduct yourself in a certain way, and that is with low position, low standing. And think of your role in relation to God, not the master or slave. Meaning, if you're a slave, realize, I'm serving God here. And God sees what's happening. God's going to take care of that. I'm going to do the best job I can, even if my master is someone that I'd really like to meet behind a corner late at night when no one else is around and I've got a heavy object in my hand. Paul says that's not how you approach it. And masters remember that you also serve God and the way that you're going to treat your slaves is something that God's going to see and remember. And so what we see here is this idea of humility in the family and in the relationship of the church. If we want the church to be healthy, all of us need to continue to work and serve with an attitude of humility. As we broaden our zoom and as we zoom out, we see some of these same attitudes in other passages. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, where we have the same wording used or the same root word for humility used by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5. Notice what he says. He speaks about leadership in the church, first of all. 
And he says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Therefore I exhort elders among you as your fellow elder and, with, uh, and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but, for the eager, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge but proving to be examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then notice verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Look at verse 5. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When, Paul or when Peter says here, clothe yourselves with humility, he's using the same word in Greek that he used back in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. Humility is essential for the smooth operation of the church, for the smooth working of the church. When Peter talks to elders and he says, do not lord it over those under your charge, he's saying you need to carry yourself by exemplifying what it is to be a Christian, to guide the church, to oversee the church, not take the attitude that says it's my way or the highway. You're going to do it this way. He says, I want you to be an example of that. And then he says, I want all of you to follow their lead, clothing yourselves with humility rather than saying, look at this position I have, look at this power I have, look at this political power that I have or position that I have. Paul says, don't look at life that way. Look at what Paul says to James, or excuse me, what James writes to the church. As we turn over to the letter of James. James in a couple of different places. Talks about the interaction that the church has with wealth. Notice what he says, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there are, uh, and also comes in a poor man with dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one wearing fine clothes, and you say, you sit in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court. What James is saying here is in Jewish society, his audience being Jews probably living in Jerusalem and Judea, they had a hierarchy that was custom in that culture. That when a prominent individual came into a dinner or a banquet, that those individuals who had the highest rank in society or the highest rank politically speaking, that person would be given the seat of honor next to the host of that dinner or banquet. And they would literally seat people by how they saw their position in society. And James says that's not how it's to, what, it's to be done in the church. 
Why is it that a wealthy person walks in and everyone's fawning over that person? Because they think that some of that money is going to drip out and land on them, right? James says that's not the, that's not the way it's going in the church. You see, humility is the idea that says I am low in position. The person that comes in should not expect those things. And we should not expect to get things from that individual. As we put some of these things together, there's much more we could say about humility. But humility is such an essential part of being a Christian. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. And he says, here's how you do it. And he begins to list all these attitudes that we ought to have. And he begins with the attitude of humility. Being low in social position or in political position. He's not saying you have to physically be low in social position or in political position, but he says this is the attitude you ought to have. What does that look like for us in life? We've already talked some about it. But as we look in the church and as we work in the church, humility is an attitude that says, I recognize that there are going to be some folks in the church that have more money than I do. And sometimes I'm going to have more money than others in the church. Sometimes I need to recognize that there are going to be some folks in the church that have more talents than I do. And I'm going to have more talents than others in the church. Sometimes <coughs> I may find myself in a church and I may find that I am well connected with someone who was a key member of that church, meaning maybe that was a person that helped plant the church. Maybe this was a person whose family has been in the church for a long time. And sometimes I may find myself in the church, and there may be others that have those, those backgrounds. Humility is the idea that says, I'm not going to care about those things. I'm going to always approach things from this attitude that says, I am low in position. Because what breaks a church down, one of the things, is when we start approaching our service to God and our worship to God and our interactions with one another and saying, oh, this is a brother that has money. We need to make sure that things are done the way he wants or she wants. Or this is someone in the church that's been here for a long time. Their family has been a part of the church for a long time. We need to make sure we do things their way. Or maybe we are that individual and we carry ourselves and we say, look at the weight that I'm carrying. Things need to be done my way. No. We need to be, be like the man in my initial example. He just goes over and picks up the broom and starts sweeping because we see that needs to be done. Many times in the church there are jealousies that exist because someone else a talent, and maybe that talent allows them to serve in a position where a lot of people see them and a lot of people acknowledge the work that they're doing. And we get upset because we're not getting that attention. Humility is the attitude that says, I'm not going to let that matter to me. I'm going to do what I know I can do. And I'm going to serve with the earnestness of heart that I have in serving God. We ought to be glad. When the scriptures tell us we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, what that means is, at least in part, is when there are those brethren that God has blessed with money, blessed with physical blessings, blessed with talents, that we rejoice with them. 
We rejoice when they have those rather than setting our minds about being envious of those things. Humility says all of us are equal in the sight of God. And for God, those things don't matter. His son died for all of us. Let's think about what it means for families. Humility says that as a husband, I'm going to love my wife, and I'm going to cherish her, and I'm going to nourish her. So even though God says in Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, husbands be the head of the wife. Rather than being a man that takes that to mean that I get to boss my wife around all the time and tell her what to do and she has to be subservient to me, that's not what that text means. It means I need to lead my wife. I need to lead my family spiritually. And I need to take into consideration her ideas, her thoughts, her concerns, her emotions, listen to her, talk with her. And rather than just going out and saying, it's my decision to make, I'm taking in all those things. And I'm loving her and nourishing her. And in the same way, wives are humble when they respect their husbands. And wives are humble when they say, you know what, even though this guy has messed up 27 times, I'm still going to be respectful. Some of us have messed up more than 27 times, but we're not going to name any names. And in families, that is essential. When I come into a marriage and I instead, am I just looking out for myself, looking out for my desires, looking out for my expectations, that's when my marriage begins to break down. Why are there so many divorces today? One is because of finances, but the second one is because of expectations. This is your job. You're the woman. That means you need to wash the dishes. And then when you're done with that, go ahead and take care of the laundry. Uh, and then when you're done with that, go ahead and put the kids to bed because the, the football game's on. That's not the way it's to be in the Christian family. We need to realize that being humble as a man means that sometimes, someone plugs Kimberly's ear, we wash the dishes, we vacuum the floor, we do things around the house. And sometimes, you see what we do in society, in our, in our culture, is we say these are men's jobs, these are women's jobs. And if I'm a man, I'm not going to do anything in the woman's column. And if my wife does any of the things in the man's column, she must be saying I can't do it. It's okay for there to be a little, inter little interchange there. That's humility. And families would be stronger and better off if we exercised humility towards one another. Parenting would be better if we approach our parenting with humility. And we acknowledge the fact that my task is to train my child, not just to beat my child, not to berate my child, not to simply... Uh, talk condescendingly to my child, but to train them, help them to see what they ought to be doing in this society, in this culture, and in this life. Paul says, church, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received, and that walk begins by not thinking too highly of yourself, 
thinking of yourself as being low in social position and political position. Because if you do that, there'll be more peace, more love, and more harmony. If you're here this morning and you have needs for the prayers of the church, if there's something that you want the church to be thinking about and praying about, whatever that need is, why don't you come? Together we stand in